0: Hi everyone, I'm Kiana, and I'd like to welcome you to Toronto Nature Now, brought to you by CJRU 1280 AM in Toronto and the Toronto Field Naturalists. The Toronto Field Naturalists are a volunteer-run, non-profit, nature conservation organization, connecting people with nature and wildlife in the Toronto area. Today, I'd like to welcome back Dr. Michael McTavish, who's here to talk about jumping worms. Michael is a postdoctoral research fellow working with the Smith Forest Health Lab at the University of Toronto. His ongoing research examines the implications of ecological novelty and invasion for restoration, the ecology of non native earthworms, and biological control of weeds, including introduced phragmites and garlic mustard, which was our last episode together. Here's what Michael had to say Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for coming back. How are you doing today?
1: Hi, Kiana. Doing great. Uh, Happy to be back. Doing well.
0: Thank you. So today we're going to talk about jumping worms. And I guess my first question is, what is a jumping worm?
1: So jumping worm is one of many common names used to describe actually a group of about 16 species of earthworms. They look and behave similarly enough that we often group them together under the one name. The name comes from the aggressive twitching or sort of a thrashing motion. That's the jumping That the worms make when disturbed and they're doing that to try and throw off predators and avoid becoming lunch these species are native to east and southeast asia but are starting to show up more often in north america as non-native invasive species in canada specifically a few of these jumping worms were first documented near windsor in 2014 uh, and then this was followed by more numerous sightings around southern Ontario, starting in the summer of 2021. We've been helping keep tabs on this invasion ever since then. And to date, there have been 31 confirmed sightings across Ontario. And we've also done more local studies that have found them in several of the Toronto ravines.
0: Wow. And so why are jumping worms considered a problem? Aren't earthworms generally considered a good thing?
1: It's an interesting point. Jumping worms actually aren't the first non-native invasive earthworms in North America. In Canada, most of our earthworms are actually non-native invasive species. We did have native worms in Canada, but these were mostly wiped out by the last ice age. Non-native earthworms began to replace them and arrive with colonists and trade, first from Europe, starting as far back as the 1500s to the 1600s, all the way to the present day, and now more recent arrivals from Asia as well. These earthworms are all decomposers, so they break down dead and decaying organic matter and help recycle those nutrients back into the soil. This can be very helpful in a productive garden or an agricultural field where you have abundant crops and horticultural species to take up those nutrients. And that's why gardeners and farmers are often happy to see worms as a sign of a healthy, fertile soil. However, in a more natural environment, so something like a forest or grassland, plants are evolutionarily adapted to non-earthworm conditions. They're not used to having the soil churned up and nutrients released so quickly. So this rapid decomposition by non-native earthworms like jumping worms um, in natural environments can leave the soils bare and that can expose plants to drying up or being browsed by herbivores like deer. The rapid release of nutrients when they are not needed can actually lead to a net loss of nutrients from the soil. So when it rains heavily, a lot of those nutrients, for example, can be swept away uh, or they may be taken up by weedy invasive plants, which then go on to have their own negative impacts on biodiversity.
0: Right. And so I know you mentioned that non-native worm VCs first came to North America through colonialism. So I was wondering how did these jumping worms get here from Asia?
1: Right, so earthworms like many different non-native species, they move around primarily with human assistance. Um, and we don't always know to what extent this was an intentional practice or or maybe accidental. So any time that you have soil being moved around or or plants that were brought from Europe or, or from Asia for different for different purposes, so maybe for agriculture or for the horticultural trade. Those might have earthworms or maybe even more likely earthworm cocoons, which are just very small uh, sort of spheroid uh, kind of particles that are very easy to miss in the soil. And, and so those can come over with those materials as well. So as we have an increasingly globalized world with networks of trade and travel and and commerce and material moving around, uh, we, we see. Um, a growing abundance of non-native species being introduced into areas they weren't found previously and and that seems to be the case for earthworms and and jumping worms as well
0: right yeah that makes so much sense so how are jumping worms different from other types of worms
1: in addition to being a more recent invader jumping worms also have several other notable traits uh, that differ from european non-native earthworms um, most jumping worms live very close to the surface of the soil so they don't burrow down particularly deep. They're also parthenogenetic, which is a fancy term that means that they can reproduce asexually. So even a single individual jumping worm can theoretically start a whole new population on its own. And finally, unlike many European earthworms that actually live for multiple years in the soil, jumping worms have an annual life cycle. So like an annual plant, they only live for one year. The young worms will hatch in the spring. They develop to maturity in the summer and the fall they lay cocoons into the soil that will overwinter there until the following spring, and then they die. So all these traits taken together make for worms that are highly successful at spreading rapidly into new habitats. Also, when we get European earthworms that are very large, so if we think of like a dew worm or night crawler, they're very popular for fishing, and you'll see them out on the sidewalk sometimes, um, they tend to occur at low density. So you'll only have a few of them in each patch of soil. Jumping worms can also be quite large, but they also tend to be quite numerous. And so, that combination of size and density means that they can have really large impacts on the soil.
0: Right. And given that these jumping worms are a serious problem, what can be done to help?
1: I think the bitter pill to swallow first is that non native earthworms of any kind, so European or jumping worms, are becoming an inevitable part of our soil ecosystems. Because they're difficult to detect, And because we lack large-scale effective control measures, once they get somewhere, they're generally there to stay. That being said, it's still really important and valuable to try and slow down their spread as much as possible. Slowing the invasion down gives our ecosystems more time to adapt to their impacts, which can minimize losses of biodiversity and ecological function. So to do that, we recommend two priority steps. Basically, learn where they are and try to slow the spread. So for learning where they are and searching for jumping worms, we recommend that people look first for evidence of jumping worm casts, which is just a fancy term for worm poop. Uh, If you see the ground covered in a layer of loose crumbly soil uh, that looks a lot like dried coffee grounds or or ground beef, there may be jumping worms hidden right in there. Because they're close to the surface, you can look for the worms by just loosely sifting through those casts. Uh, If you find a worm in there, the best sign is to look for Uh, if they're doing that jumping behavior. So if you try and pick them up or poke at them and they start thrashing side to side aggressively, it's kind of a very twitchy kind of motion, it's probably a jumping worm. In terms of slowing down the spread from these areas that we know are infested, if the infestation is very, very small, so something like a single garden pot or a raised garden bed, we know that if you give them high temperatures over 40 degrees Celsius for at least three days, that can kill the jumping worms and their cocoons. And you can achieve this by sealing the material in black plastic and leaving it out in the sun. So solarization. If the infestation is any larger than that, however, we can't really get rid of it. So the best thing we can try to do is limit its spread to other locations. So if it's in a garden, for example, be careful not to dispose of or or move any unsterilized material to new locations. So we wanna try and keep it where it is. Um, and if you're walking or maybe biking through an infested area like a trail, uh, people should try and clean off their shoes and wheels of their bikes to try and inadvertently uh, prevent spreading cocoons to new areas.
0: Great. Those are good tips. I didn't even realize that the eggs could get on like bike wheels or even shoes.
1: Mm-hmm. And they're very easy to miss. And it's a it's a good general tip for dealing with uh, even pollen or, or seeds, uh, other propagules from other invasive plants, for example, as well. So good good general practice.
0: Great. Thank you. And so if people do think that they see a jumping worm, what should they do?
1: This jumping worm invasion is relatively new. And so this is when it's really useful to have good data on where they are, how are they spreading, and how quickly does that happen? And so fortunately, anybody uh, can contribute to this effort as a community scientist. If people find what they think is a jumping worm. So they're seeing that coffee ground like soil and they find a thrashing worm in it. Uh, We ask that you take pictures of the casts and the worm and ideally a video even just on your phone showing the thrashing behavior that that they're showing. We then ask people to go to a website called Edmaps, which is a platform for tracking the spread of invasive species. And you can upload photos there and, and details of the location, doesn't take very long, These records then go to myself for review and you'll get confirmation as to whether this was in fact a jumping worm. If it was, that record then goes on a publicly available database that uh, the public can access and researchers like ourselves can use that to study the invasion and try to come up with solutions. This invasion was initially spotted by gardeners working in their backyards and hikers walking along their favorite trails. And we really couldn't do this research without their help. and, And we really, really appreciate it. Um, So this is a great opportunity for for folks to contribute to science and conservation in your own neighborhood. In general, late summer and fall tend to be the best time to find jumping worms. So uh, I would encourage everyone to keep your eyes open for this and submit a report to EDMAPS if you see anything sort of jumping around in there.
0: Great, thank you. Do you mind spelling EDMAPS?
1: Of course, uh, it's E-D-D-M-A-P-S.
0: Great, thank you. Of course. So that's all I really have to ask. Is there anything else you want to add about jumping worms?
1: I would say that one of the uh, the things about this in, invasion and sort of searching for them is is that a, a picture or video can be worth a thousand words. Uh, so we do have some some videos that are available through uh, webinars that we've done with the Toronto Nature Stewards uh, and Royal Botanical Gardens, looking at jumping worms, and we have some videos and photos with a few more details about how to identify jumping worms, where to look for them, and more details about how to do this reporting through Edmaps as well. So if you're looking for a little bit more detail on that, uh, I would encourage you to search those out online and just type those organizations in, and jumping worms, and you should be able to to find those and see what this looks like, especially that jumping behavior. It's, uh, it's fairly creepy, uh, but fortunately, it's also quite distinctive, so it makes them relatively easy to spot.
0: Great, thank you. I'll definitely be looking up the jumping worms now.
1: Okay, sounds good. Uh, Something we don't really want to find, but uh, if they're out there, it's important to know where they are. So good for everyone to keep their eyes peeled.
0: Yes, for sure. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: You're very welcome. It was a pleasure.
0: Thanks again to Dr. Michael McTavish for talking with me today. And another reminder to look out for jumping worms, document where you see them, and submit your pictures, videos, and information to edmaps.org. That's E-D-D MAPS.org. Again, edmaps.org. And I'd also like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Anyone out there who'd like to get involved with the Toronto Field Naturalists can visit their website at torontofieldnaturalists.org. Again, that's torontofieldnaturalists.org. Shout out to Paul Overy, the show coordinator, and once again, I'm Kiana for CJRU, and this has been Toronto Nature Now. Make sure to tune in next time.